Hey, good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. And today I have special guest Tobias Musser from MS Group with me today. And he is a self-described CMMC nerd, also a super cool dude, and wanted to have him on the show to talk to us about some of the latest uh, DOD regulations that have come out uh, in, in terms of at least uh, memos still subject for, right? It's a memo, right? Subject memo. for comment. Um, which, but it's it's really kind of far down the road. It's subject to comment, but there are some portions of it that are definitely in stone. And uh, you had some insights for us on on how you thought was a far-reaching effects of that. So welcome. Well, Felicia, thank you for that kind introduction. I really appreciate it. And uh, you're pretty awesome yourself. I've enjoyed our our many conversations uh, on the side. I think you you kind of teed up uh, two things. They are sort of separate. The DOD memo is not part of CMMC, but it's part of DFAR 7012. So that affects CMMC. And of course, the CMMC rule here, we're counting down to February 26 for the comment period to close. But this memo from the DOD about FedRAMP saying that every product used by a DOD contractor or subcontractor has to be FedRAMP moderate or equivalent um, has some pretty far-reaching effects and tremendous expenses for small business. And so um, surprising uh, to see its reach. And uh, it's, it's I guess it's it offers this branch, uh, this frond of peace in saying that you could be equivalent, but its description of equivalence is not really attainable. And I guess that's uh, something I want to make sure people understand. So do you think that this is completely eliminating the ability to have premise servers, for example? So you certainly, I think an on-prem is is the easy button, uh, not not maybe the wisest button, but the easy button because then you don't fall under FedRAMP. Everything's local. There's no cloud services. You're all inside your network. Um, and, and for all intents and purposes, you're going back several generations in the way to uh, to approach things within your organization. And that may be the only choice for some companies. I, I think it can be very cost-effective depending upon, and of course it's the key factor, is the competency of the availability of the personnel to implement, maintain, and secure that, right? Barring those factors being in place, it's just, it's completely unworkable. Yeah, so if you think about it practically, for MSPs or external service providers, if it's entirely on-prem, and uh, and you have to be really careful to, you know, my words are very specific, right? And you have an account that is on their domain. You're not logging in with an MSP account. Um, and then you're working within their policies, procedures, and practices as if you were an employee or a 1099. Uh, if you craft your documents correctly, it, it could be that you... Uh, avoid many of the more onerous requirements. And it could allow MSPs to offer service um, in a way that that's that's doable, but clunky. So I'm curious because this is, you know, I'm an expert in on, on-premises technologies and it seems to me like that methodology has for a very long time been quite clean you know, again, still contingent upon being executed by competent people, uh, which is harder to come by as day goes, as days go by. Uh, 
that rel that thing that scenario you just described is also um has the benefits of severability you know yeah. in the con in the context of uh, a service provider uh, severs from a client there's much less impact to them uh, and this is even true i think in the scenario where they have uh, an employee who departs yeah it's the yeah. same thing you're basically making your msp they have an identified named individual with a named account who's contracted to do that specific task uh severability and listen i i say clunky cuz i i'm so used to the tools where i can go to a website and click a button and boom i'm sharing a screen i go and i do my thing or i have a command prompt and i'm out and it's logged and i'm covered and and that ease of use is just uh going to be severely limited because the equivalent FedRAMP tools in the FedRAMP marketplace are really, really expensive to do the same type of thing and then start pulling the MSP into scope in a greater way. Well, so so let's let's hover on that moment for a moment for a second here, because what I've observed is that the tools that are uh, seem to be and I certainly don't want to make any grand sweeping statements here, but it seems like a lot of those tools that are FedRAMP um, qualified, you know, moderate or above or equivalent are enterprise tools. And sure, then, ServiceNow is a real popular one. And do you want to spend $20,000 a month to get started? Right? No. And, and, and then, then the the other caveat to those tools is that they are still requiring basically, um, you know, tenant segmentation. So let, let's look at something very simple or as a simple example, uh, tenable vulnerability management. Okay. Uh, each customer has to be completely separatized and uh and you and even and i don't have a problem with that the issue comes into tenable doesn't make it so that the msp can have aggregated licensing right yeah. so so there's just like that's gone that's complete it's gone so it's it's because these tools were designed for enterprise they have these silos not only for the data which i agree with but now they have the silos for the licensing, which is like, that's the part that's, now I think they, now what I've seen in the last maybe two years is they're starting to get multi-tier, multi-tenant to work properly. Although not across the board, like I could tell you extreme networks with regards to their uh, extreme cloud IQ is kind of like reverse from what I would expect it to be. You like have to go into each, you have to provision each client as their own tenant. And then you have to go into the client's tenant and then like invite yourself. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's kind of the opposite direction of what, however, you know, Hey, it's SOC too, right? I mean, it's, and the severability is there and it's all compliant and certified. And you could, you even with extreme cloud IQ, you can say, well, I want this in Azure versus I want this in AWS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Even even that functionality will, for the time being, I think will be uh, limited because they're, to be a cloud service provider, a CSP, you're offering, uh, and the definition the government uses pulls in um, even the situation where you might install the software in your server and say, hey, I'm only providing it for my clients, but they have external access to it. You're, you've become a cloud service provider, and then you have to be FedRAMP moderate. 
And and so even some of the tools where you could have license management in a way that's more centralized and you say, hey, I'm deploying it on my own box, my own Azure GovCloud, I'm controlling it, access and everything. But if in any way you allow clients, well, there's some nuance there, but if in any way the clients are accessing that, um, you become a cloud service provider, you can't reach FedRAMP moderate compliance. Uh, we had an interview a couple weeks ago on a call uh, where a 3PAO, that's an organization that audits or assesses people for FedRAMP um, status on the FedRAMP.gov website, said that in their experience, having done many, many FedRAMP assessments, that no one ever gets 100%. There's always some give and take with the government for a specific uh, situation or uh, maybe a piece of software where there's where there's a concession made or a workaround. But the, the memo that was released on the second says that to be equivalent, you have to reach 100%. And in practical terms, even if you wanted to spend $200,000 with the 3PAO to have your system assessed, uh, are you going to hit 100% and then maintain that? It's really unlikely. So this, this memo will push people um, back several generations in the way they think. Um, On-prem, certainly a very doable approach, or you have to go to FedRAMP tools. Maybe you would be all in the Microsoft stack and use no third-party tools, only stuff that you can use with Microsoft. Even in that case from security, you have issues with, are you going to use named accounts in each client tenant? Are you going to avoid shared accounts? And then does that mean if you're an MSP that's servicing somebody with 300 uh, humans, do you then have five named accounts so you have enough engineers to cover the ticket workload? It, it just, you can see the expense just balloons from this memo. And uh, I don't think that the deep thought about that was in the background of the memo. I think just securing the United States was. And the, the follow-on effect is going to be very expensive for all of us. Oh, it's it's interesting because I almost feel like as, as though some of the people who were thinking about how to, you know, the, the contributors to the memo, in effect, were hearkening back to their paradigms that they understand from, you know, the, the days on prem. And yeah. so there, you know, so, I, and I would even argue, and, and I heard Bob Metzger talk about this recently, he was, he was talking about the, um, the challenges associated with complexity. And I would definitely, um, argue that when you have too much complexity you can't you can't keep track of it all and that in itself is the thing that creates the security risk yeah especially so fedramp you know um just briefly some of the things you need your your ssp of course um your control implementation summary workbook um your security test case procedures all, all of there's so much to maintain. You'd need a full-time person, right? If you were going to do it. And the complexity is so high to your point that the chance of missing somebody, something for somebody whose job and life isn't wrapped up and they're just not thrilled by FedRAMP compliance, they're going to miss something and, and fail in any regard. Well, oh my goodness. Uh, you just brought another idea to my mind, which is the liability issues that have been brought up recently associated with CISOs. Sure. So now imagine. Are you going to sign off on that? You know, if, if Jane or Bob next to you is in charge of doing that and says, hey, I have all the stuff. Here it is. Here's 
here's my binder. Right. Uh, are you going to pay for a 3PA to review all that when you do attestations annually? Incredible expense. Well, right. So this is where the the paradigm has to be pretty staunchly challenged. Um, I, I've been a big fan of what I would call a the team approach. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I, I come from a space where I saw organizations being way too limp-wristed with how they did their decision-making practices. Like they would have an internal IT director fill out their cyber insurance application. And, and just being very blunt about it, this, the IT director would just lie, okay? <laughs> it would just lie. I mean, the cyber application was full of a bag of lies. You know, or they'd have somebody who is an internal employee just fill this thing out and it would just be a bag of lies. Okay, well, then the liability transfers to the executive that of that organization who signed the darn thing. They signed it. And these people just accepted and ate that risk. And I think that they thought that it was okay that they were going to get away with it. Well, but now what we're seeing is, of course, uh, the... You know, on on the CMMC side, the assessment is like you can't have the revenue stream unless you meet certain objectives. And and so that's turning it a bit on the head compared to which, by the way, would happen, I think, in the commercial space, too, if people would do uh, vendor risk management properly. Right. Like great, great example of that. If you required of your tax preparer to give you a letter that they were attesting to the fact that they were FTC safeguards compliant. You know, call call up a tax preparer, ask them, will you give me a letter where you're attesting to the fact that you are FTC safeguards compliant? That nobody's going to do that. And that's yeah. because they're not FTC safeguards compliant. So if they're not, then why would you have them prepare your taxes, right? So, but this is that kind of like the demand side fix to the problem. And of course, that's what, you know, what I think CMMC is trying to do is to fix it on the demand side saying, you know, you, you have to have this certification or we just can't do business with you. And uh, a high barrier to entry. It's really raised the barriers to entry to do business with the DOD and to continue business. And it's raised the barrier to entry for anybody who wants to be a service provider to those uh, industries, to those contractors and subcontractors. However, uh, I do believe that I'm in the ecosystem. I believe the barrier needs to be raised because it's not only that our planes are flying above Beijing. That's a common like trope that people bring out like, hey, we're, we don't want our planes flying over Beijing. True. But more so, we don't want our warfighter, um, you know, in the middle of a firefight, worried that their body armor will fail because somebody's uh, changed the ceramic mix on their plate armor. You know, it, it's not just stealing things, right? It's corrupting things. And so I do hear a lot about the pain and the expense. But on the side of defending our soldiers who give us the freedom to sit here and have this conversation, I think we need to be more secure. And unfortunately, it's been dishonesty that got us here, right? Yeah. Years of the testing right. to things that weren't there. So I I do want yeah. small businesses to succeed. And I'm biased, obviously. I'm in the ecosystem. I believe we need to do more to defend the country. I think I one of the things that, that uh, has really got to get flushed out is exactly, you know, where are the lines driving more clarity, 
um, for people so that they, because these small businesses, they can't afford to hire somebody like me to be their full-time employee to just run all yeah. of their stuff. Um, they just can't. And, uh, and to that end, hiring a single full-time employee to run all of that stuff internally for them doesn't give them the simultaneous capacity to deal with issues anyways. Yeah. So, this so is- some, you know, some sort of a hybrid approach has got to function and we've seen co-managed IT function for a very long time, but now it becomes a, a matter of like, well, where the heck are the systems? I mean, f- bluntly, I feel like the, the MSP um, tools across the board are really not that stellar to begin with. And then they're not FedRAMP compliant on top of that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, and if you look, so very, very good points. I do want to clarify a lie, whether it's intentional or not, is still a lie. I know many contractors filled out the forms thinking that they knew what they were talking about and they didn't have the knowledge. So I'm not saying that every contract out there is, you know, malicious intent, but it's still not accurate. I had a, I pulled uh, up a, a chart here. So if you wanted to use Microsoft's Intune suite, which does, you know, a lot of the things uh, you would want to do as an MSP, it's $120 a month just for Intune suite for the for retail fe- price. For, for FedRAMP? Yeah. Yeah. So that you're, so that you have all the same tools that's per, per license, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the costs are very, very high compared to, Hey, you know, for 10 bucks or 12 bucks, I can get my uh, management tool du jour, right? Yeah. To come in and patch and monitor and and give me remote access and install some software procedurally. So what do you think about um, interesting tools like Heimdall as an example that is, if, from my understanding, I'm not a Heimdall expert, I'm not using the platform, but from my understanding, it, it's basically like a control suite um, on on things that are Microsoft, like like it kind of controls Intune and it controls Windows Defender, you know, and it it controls those sorts of things. And um, you know, or you look at something like M365 DSC, um, right? That's controlling a desired state configuration for it. Yeah, there is um, the, the DSC product we like as a way for MSPs to quickly deploy a consistent set of parameters within a Microsoft tenant. I I think it's an unsung hero type of tool. I also think many of the large MSPs are preaching that it takes six figures to configure a government contractor uh, and set them up in GCC. Um, DSC, you set up one tenant with one user, get all your settings in there and you can replicate it and it has drift detection and will alert you uh, if clients come out of compliance. And I think that's a, a wonderful tool. The other tool that you mentioned, uh, Heimdall, I'm not familiar with, so I wouldn't be able to, to comment on that. From what you described, uh, from an assessor's viewpoint, um, if you deploy something like that, you're still making yourself into a cloud provider if it's touching multiple people. And so I, I, I don't think you'd be able to use it. Um, when you're in the Microsoft stack, the Microsoft world, and you're using only Microsoft tools, um, really, really expensive, but you're compliant as far as um, being able to produce the artifacts demonstrating compliance. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's it's beastly because I feel like the this the expense profile of doing some of these things, even just you know you're you're articulating just raw licensing cost. The expense yeah. profile for some of these things is is going to be so high it is going to drive a staunch initiative of parallel systems. Like, I think so. you know, I mean, if this system over here is it, if it would cost us, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year to do this thing, um, if we put all of our, you know, candy store in there. Well, if we just take the licorice out <laughs> yeah. and you only put the licorice in there, then let's say it's $15,000 a year. Yeah. Enclave approaches seem to be the way to go right now, based on mm -hmm. what we understand from the rule, rather than doing your whole enterprise, unless you're a very small business, some sort of enclave approach. Um, you know, you, you have basically have three choices, Microsoft GCC high. Microsoft GCC um, or Google FedRAMP High, if you want like you know, Fortune 100 solutions, there's lots of companies, smaller companies that sell enclaves in their own versions uh, of clouds. And uh, I, I'm not saying anything bad about them, but the, the big three, the two Microsoft versions and the Google version, um, you can put five users in there and, and do it at minimal cost versus an entire enterprise. And who knows, maybe at some point, if it grows, you can grow the enclave and shrink the other enterprise network and the enterprise network becomes the little enclave just for your bookkeeping at level one and everything else is in the expanded enclave. But it gives you some tools and a way to constrain expense. And um, when you move into a system, it is supposed to be certified already once the rule's in effect. So you can't move in and certify after the fact. An enclave gives you an easy way to put something in place, certify it, and then move data into it. Uh, but a point you made earlier was that it's all also about policies and procedures of the human beings interacting with the enclave. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So CMMC is physical security, operational security, and cybersecurity. And often people go in the other direction, but really you need your physical security and operational security defined so that you can configure the technology, that's the right direction. And a lot of people are hitting it from the other direction. I'm going to buy this technical set of controls. Wow, I'm at 80%. Now let me write some documentation to try to match it. It's not the best approach. Oh, look, look that, that approach is not exclusive to CMMC sure. um, in, in terms of a problem. In fact, I would argue that that is the approach that is used and, and an incorrect approach is used ubiquitously. Right? Uh, yeah. Most organizations would be best off to actually fix all of their operational maturity and HR management problems well before they would ever try and solve the problem with technical controls. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going upstream on that one though. You're right. The, the whole culture of the world is, is the, the shiny technical solve that I can write the check and, and uh, go to sleep at night. Well, I, I think it's, uh, and I'm not going to make it exclusively an IT problem, but I would say that that is definitely a mindset that I've seen driven mostly by IT folks who don't want to do the hard pained work of 
slow rolling change through an organization, especially cultural change. So instead of uh, an approach that says, well, you know, I've got these problems with these users, so I'm going to lock them down in this way because that's the easy button because I know that that's what we can do, you know. Uh, the approach that I would take, it be, would be one more of like, okay, look, why does this problem actually fundamentally exist? Well, it exists because there isn't ongoing training for the staff. The uh, division managers are not onboarding stuff with these policies and procedures. So I'll go and I'll have a meeting with some division manager where I'll say like, let me help you. So like, I can put, I can help you put together a development plan for this person who's doing things the wrong way. And then, oh, well, let's, let me come up with a draft policy, float it to the management team, right? And then it, it goes through. So the only way that I've found to get a real solid, permanent solution to these problems is I start with the people first. Absolutely. So it's hard work. Training. In, we, internal marketing, right? You have to also yeah. cite people about it. You know, often a policy thing, I, I, I this comes from ancient Surzanity treaties from Mesopotamia, right? But when there's a, when, when you give somebody a reason, a policy, right? A law, um, you tell them uh, the blessings and the curses, right? The pros and the cons. And I think so often we write procedures and we tell them that it's important. Um, in our procedure manual, we say, here's what breaks when you don't do it. And here's what goes well when you do do it. And I think uh, if we got more into that practice of, of helping people understand the why, um, then your internal marketing is more successful. But um, as you say, start from start from the policy procedure and practice, do internal marketing and apply the technology to match it. And, and the expense in the long run really is lower. I just want to um, revisit what you just covered because you're saying that. And in my brain, I'm going like, well, that's exactly the way I do it. <laughs> and so it's like one of those things that I, I feel like people that have really struggled with this whole sort of organizational change management have just inherently come to that same conclusion that you do have to persuade people. People have to see the value of the why. And sometimes the value of the why is because it benefits them. And sometimes it's because this is bad for the organization. Um, sometimes they themselves on an individual basis will eat the negativity. Uh, and sometimes there's, you know, it, both pieces, you know, there's bad for the organization and there's bad for the person or it's good for the organization and good for the person. And I think all of those factors help motivate people to do the right thing. And I always try and approach it from um, that, that whole kind of personal productivity perspective, if that's a factor. Because that's going to resonate with people so much more deeply than, well, do you like your, would you like your employer to continue to be in business? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because um, there, there's it has one, to be personal. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be personal with a lot of these people. But I, a lot of it, I've, I've also seen you, if you want people to behave in a particular way, you have to measure for that. You have to manage for that. You have to set those expectations and we have to have transparency around what's expected of people. Yeah. And, and, and that's just, it's just challenging HR management. And a lot of what time, a lot of the time, what I've faced as a CISO is I end up having to go mentor HR managers. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, there's a reason that humans uh, for centuries have gone to churches, synagogues, and mosques every week to hear the same thing that they already say they believe over and over and over. Right. Like, 
why would we expect it's any different in our space that humans need constant repetition of the things they say they already believe and want to do? That's um, hilarious. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, um, you kind of have to have the church of your policies <laughs> and have your regular service, um, you know, in whatever way you do to, to help people do the things. I mean, I think no one sits there and says, wow, well, maybe some do. I, I really want to screw over my company, hurt profitability, cause excessive risk, damage to the country and go to bed at night thinking, wow, I got a paycheck. It's great. You know, <laughs> you know that's just, you know, people are trying to do a good job generally. And, and I think we do need to support them with our sort of church of policy. I have to say, I've never heard that metaphor used with this, but it is so applicable. And it's hilarious simultaneously. <laughs> I think I have to put that down as a uh, a musserism. Okay, well, I, I've used it for a couple of years now. I, I I have some friends who are rather religious who get a little touchy about it, but I'm not doing it in an offensive way. I'm just pointing out human nature and the fact that right. many of the world's largest religious groups uh, all are doing the same thing so maybe we should learn something <laughs> it's clearly effective as a uh, as a communication method <laughs> right uh, well so thank you very much for your time this has been extremely insightful and i appreciate you uh, sharing your wisdom on this subject with us well i appreciate the opportunity it's always a, a joy to hang out and chat uh, always happy to help anytime <laughs>